This is Finally Free, a podcast for those sick of battling their bodies, sick of fearing food and the number on the scale, sick of punishing exercise all in the pursuit of diet culture's version of health and wellness. I'm Alana Vandersloos, a certified intuitive eating counselor, eating disorder survivor, and the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness, where I offer group coaching for women who are ready to heal their relationship with food in their bodies and become their healthiest, happiest, most confident selves without ever having to go on another diet. On this podcast, you will hear me answer your biggest questions around how to become a successful intuitive eater. You'll hear inspiring stories of other women on their food freedom journeys, those who are recovering, those who are recovered, and those who are helping others to do the same. I'll teach you how to quiet that incessant voice in your head telling you you're not enough, how to find peace and satisfaction with food again, how to embrace the one and only body you have with fitness you enjoy so you can move through this world with confidence. Are you ready to be finally free? Before we get started, I want to remind you of everything I have to offer with Freedom with Food and Fitness. First, I offer group coaching. My 10-week intuitive eating coaching program is called Defy the Diet, and it blends intuitive eating principles and mindset work in a hybrid format that blends group and private coaching to give my clients amazing results. My summer cohort client, Adriana, had this to say about me as her coach. Alana's finally helped me to develop a healthier relationship with food and helped me to discover the root causes of my disordered eating. She's very open and honest about her own struggles in her journey, which empower me and the ladies in the group to have deep conversations about the challenges and pressures we face from diet culture in our society. Ugh. It's testimonials like that, seriously, that make everything I do for my clients and my business worth every second. If you're someone who wants true mental and physical health without restriction and obsession, stop overeating, find consistency in nutrition, movement, and self-care, and take the guilt out of wellness, this program is for you. If you're ready for your ticket to food freedom, enrollment is open for Defy the Diet. But don't sit on this because it's only open for a few weeks and closes on December 12th. Fill out your application and schedule a call with me at freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call. That's freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call. We'll talk all about your current struggles, flesh out those goals you have for yourself, and create a clear step-by-step roadmap. We'll travel together to finally get you to those goals. We have a brand new coach coming on board as well and five new Defy the Diet package options to help make this program more supportive than ever. An insanely effective program tailored to your needs and budget. Spots that include one-to-one coaching are limited. So again, go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash call to apply today. If you're not quite ready for group coaching, check me out on Instagram at freedomwithfoodandfitness. There, I have free quizzes to assess your relationship to food and fitness, articles I've written, exclusive blog posts, free intuitive eating worksheets, videos, and so much more. In today's episode, I'm talking to Alana Carvalho, a licensed mental health counselor who focuses on helping parents, couples, and individuals build balanced relationships by releasing old patterns, setting boundaries, and finding their voice. She's especially passionate about helping individuals see how healing codependency and perfectionism can lead to a more joy-filled life. 
Alana has lectured on child development at the College of Staten Island. Her first book, Raising Empowered Children, The Codependent Perfectionist Guide to Parenting, is now available on Amazon. Alana created the Codependent Perfectionist Oracle Cards to give everyone the ability to utilize therapeutic tools at the touch of their hand. Alana maintains her private practice in Midtown Manhattan. And if you liked today's episode and want to see more about Alana, you can go to alanacarvalho.com. That's A-L-A-N-A-C-A-R-V-A-L-H-O.com on Instagram at The Codependent Perfectionist. And you can check out her podcast, The Codependent Perfectionist, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I really enjoyed this uh, this episode because I feel like we're spirit animals. Um, and you'll see in the very beginning of our conversation like how much she and I actually have in common. It's almost kind of scary. So uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Alana Carballo. All right. So thank you, Alana, for agreeing to come on the Finally Free podcast. Uh, let's address the elephant in the room. I'm Alana. You're Alana. I'm from Jersey. Yes. You're from Jersey. Yes. You have a podcast called The Codependent Perfectionist, and I am a recovering codependent person. Yes. Like, this could not be better. <laughs> I think we're kindred spirits or like soul partners, or I don't even know. Possible we knew each other in another lifetime. <laughs> we must have. And I'm, I, the more I speak to people, the more I'm starting to think there is such a thing as past mm-hmm. lives. It just makes sense. Yeah. But I'm so happy to have you here and to really kind of dig into codependent perfectionism and how it, you know, relates to disordered eating. Uh, so just to kind of go back to the very beginning to see how you got where you are, yeah. uh, what was your relationship like to food and your body growing up? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, a funny, a really funny thing actually comes to mind that I don't think I've ever shared this, but I'm going to share it. One time in my life when I was young, I saw a therapist because I, I really wanted to um, as like a therapy geek myself. And I remember saying to her, like, you know, <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say, but I was said, you know, if I didn't love food so much, I think I'd have an eating disorder. <laughs> and what I meant by that, which this crazy comment as a teenager that I made, um, was that I knew that my patterns were so... Um, they were so disordered in themselves, like so rigid and so perfectionistic. Um, And I knew that about myself. And it's, you know, my relationship with um, perfectionism has been a struggle throughout my whole life. And food naturally to me plays into that because, you know, it impacts our appearance. And most perfectionists struggle with, um, you know, needing to look perfect. So naturally to me, it's just, it's a part of it off the bat, you know? Um, and that's something that I'm open about that I, that I struggle with. Like, you know, that's, that's a part of my perfectionism right there. Like I, I want to look perfect just like everybody else. Right. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's hard in a society that's telling you, you have to, right. and there's this, there's this rat race comparison thing happening. And it's actually really funny. You said that I didn't remember that I had said something so similar when I was a teenager. I because I I loved food and I was always the kid that you know I was so small, but I always had a very hearty appetite. And people would comment on that, and I was like, oh yeah, well you know if I didn't love food so much, I'd have an. And then lo and behold, in my early twenties, I would have one. So that was you know kind of sick foreshadowing right there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what was the inspiration to kind of get your license as a mental health counselor and start Alana Carvalho therapy? I know you said just before that you were always kind of into therapy. So my story is that I always knew that I was going to be a therapist. I remember saying at five years old, like, I'm going to be a therapist. I, I don't know how I even knew what that was at the time, but I just always knew I was meant to help people in that way. Um, so for me, it kind of naturally just um, all kind of fit into place. But what really jumpstarted my actual work as a therapist and what I now um, how I call myself the codependent perfectionist and all that was really like my own therapeutic journey that um, not that one when I was a teenager, but when I really dove in in my 20s and that's what kind of kicked everything off because I realized the severity of what was going on for me. Um, and, you know, my, my reasoning for going to therapy at that time, I remember sitting there and going, well, you know, I need to go to therapy because I'm going to become a therapist. And I knew, you know, I knew I needed it, but I didn't really get what was actually going on for me um, until my therapist really helped me see it and, you know, made me aware of my codependency and my perfectionism. And although it was a really hard pill to swallow at that time, it, it's, you know, that awareness has really helped me help other people see it themselves. Right. And you said you feel like you're kind of still in recovery for that, right? I think it's a lifelong thing. I mean, uh, you know, as most issues that we struggle with and, you know, throughout time is, it's it's not like it's something that just suddenly goes away, but it's something for me that, I mean, I'm in such a different place than I was back then. I mean, God, that's, it's like an entirely different person, but, um, you know, it doesn't mean those issues don't come up for me every day in some way. They're just not as, you know, big or heavy, which I imagine you can relate to in, in your own recovery process. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm very candid on Instagram when that happens. I had a day a couple of months ago where I, I got I got uh, news that my son had to have surgery. He's, he's 15 months old. And oh. I felt so out of control with that situation that I had all of a sudden, I had the urge to weigh myself and I hadn't weighed myself in Lord knows how long. Right. And, you know, you have those slips, but they only, they don't last as long. Right. You know why you have that impulse to do whatever disordered thing it is. You can talk yourself down from it. So like you said, it's, it's not that we don't have the thoughts that we can't control the thoughts that we have when they kind of pop up, but we know what to do with them. Right. And I also think like, you know, two things come to mind. One is that people are often unaware that they think like, okay, when I've worked through something therapeutically, that means it's, it should be always in a better place. And the reality is we go through various transitions in life that really bring a whole new level to whatever it was we were struggling with before. And then oftentimes, like we have to kind of re-go through the recovery process. So for example, for me, you know, having children brought up all of my codependency and perfectionism issues, again, in a way that I hadn't experienced previously. So, you know, it's not like when that happened, I was all of a sudden starting at square one, but it could feel that way sometimes when I was like in the thick of it and like, wow, you know, this is something I struggled with like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, and um, that happens. That's a natural part of the process. Yeah. So there's that piece of it. And exactly what you're saying too, that, um, you know, my, my therapist always used to say to me, Alana, it's not that I'm not judgmental. 
uh, it's that I, I have the judgments and then I kind of laugh at them. And that to me kind of relates to all the different distorted thinking patterns that we have that like we, we don't, people think the work is like to poof, get rid of them, but it's really not that. It's that we, we create more space between them. So we don't necessarily believe them anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Now we, we've been saying the word codependent and codependency a lot already. Can we just define what that is just for people who maybe don't know? Sure. And, you know, whenever I get this question, I'm like, God, it's so hard to define sometimes, but like the real like basic piece of it is a desire to change um, somebody else's behavior experience um, or feelings really, you know, that's kind of the basis of it more or less. And then how that manifests can look all sorts of different ways. Um, but it's really like a desire to change the, to change what is in a sense. Okay. Um, and how does, how does that, how does that go hand in hand with perfectionism and how is perfectionism formed? What are the different things that can happen to a person to kind of make them that way? So I think there's, there's various ways that it kind of goes hand in hand together. I think the main thing is that both in codependency and in perfectionism, there's a feeling of not being good enough as it's, right? Like not trusting or loving ourselves the way that we are and feeling like we need to be different. Um, and, and trying to, in a sense, almost like earn our care and love from other people by behaving a certain way or um, trying to look a certain way or work a certain way, you know? And, and so that in a sense, in, you know, sometimes I'll say um, perfectionism can be uh, like relation, how do, I, how do I say this? Codependency is relational perfectionism in a sense, <laughs> if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. it, they really do like go hand in hand. Um, and a lot of it, you know, it stems from our childhood, it stems from, um, you know, the different experiences that we've had, our personalities that we had coming into this, this lifetime, um, you know, and oftentimes we can kind of connect it back to our early parenting and sometimes it, it can happen from having a narcissistic parent or a parent who really struggles with mental health. It can also happen from just having like a really severely perfectionistic or codependent parent, you know, all of that stuff. So it's never, all of this is never one thing. It's, it can be a mix of many different factors. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And now could we also uh, dif uh, differentiate between perfectionist and high achiever and how maybe they, they enter, they, they, they overlap, but also how they're different. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in my recovery, I'm still a high achiever, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I yeah, think oh yeah. um, perfectionists, the, the difference really, in a sense, is that a perfectionist never sees anything as good enough, right? Like, it doesn't matter what we achieve, it's never good enough. Um, even if we set the goal and, and get there, we're still like, huh, but, you know, maybe I could have done better, or let me move the goal again, or whatever it is that we do for ourselves, right? Um, I think a lot of people get nervous that if they don't have that high, really high bar set for themselves, that they actually will lose their desire to achieve. And I don't think that that's true at all. I think actually, in a sense, you kind of gain a really 
um, more connected desire to achieve. That's not, it's not about the actual achievement. It's about like, for me now I have fun with it. Like it's a fun thing for me to achieve and to do. And, um, it, but it's not about like how I rate myself because of it. It doesn't, it, I don't have to make it mean something about me. And that is really what creates a different difference. And then I can celebrate when there's something fun or exciting that happens, but I don't have to make the negative be something that's really, um, you know, like really icky and, and something I hold on to and say, well, that means something about me. Right. It, you know, does, right. I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, you're, you're, you're separating yourself from your achievements. Right. Your, your, your identity isn't wrapped up in what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve. It's kind of like this awesome bonus that you enjoy doing. And it sounds a lot like what I do. Mm-hmm. Like when I reach a goal, I'm like, oh, that's great. And mm-hmm. I'm on to the next thing because I, I actually enjoy the process and the, mm-hmm. the chase, so to speak. I really enjoy yeah. that. It's, it's yeah. kind of fun. And once I realized about myself, it helped me let go of the end goal mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. Um, now, oh, God. Okay. I was going to say, where, you know, you were saying the, the icky stuff, you don't make the icky stuff or, you know, the negative emotions that can crop up in the way to achieving your goal, you don't make that mean anything about yourself. Um, where do you think those icky thoughts or those negative beliefs or limiting beliefs come from? I think most commonly it comes from various authority figures in our life. I don't think it's just ever one person, mm-hmm. but oftentimes people will say, say like, when I ask them about who it may be that's speaking that to them, they'll say, oh, well, it's me, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's become you because you've internalized somebody else's voice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But that voice could be the voice of a coach, a teacher, a parent, an aunt, a grandparent. There's many different people in our life that influence us really heavily. Um, And sometimes like if if you can just allow yourself to go back to some of those memories and, and see and, and they're not always exact, you know, like people will say, oh, but nobody ever said to me, like, that's not good enough. And I'm like, it's not always that someone says that exact thing. Sometimes, sometimes it's an energy. Sometimes it's a lack of acknowledgement of this thing that you did. Um, and sometimes it's actually just seeing your parent do it to themselves. So, you know, it's not even, even if you had like, for example, an authority figure who was extremely loving towards you and was like, you did a great job and all of that loving stuff, but you saw them beat themselves up or hold themselves to high standards, you can still very easily internalize that voice because that is a mirror for you and you're learning from that, right? So, you know, don't try to think of it so binary if, if you're struggling with trying to conceptualize where where this voice might be stemming from right and now so how how does this all kind of lead into body image issues or eating disorders how how can codependency and perfectionism manifest itself in that way you know it's interesting i did um a podcast on codependency and coping with food and i think there's one right there right um and that might be something that's less maybe commonly thought of, you know, because when immediately, of course, when we think of perfectionism, we think of what I shared before, which is like the need to look 
in this perfect way that society says is like the right way to look, right? Um, and that for sure is a big part of it, but that can come out in so many different ways. Um, you know, also the codependency piece, for example, if part of our big codependency issues was really trying to like please one of our parents or authority figures, um, which that is true for many of us, part of that is wrapped up in our body image, right? Like, you know, we we have been taught that we get acceptance if we look a certain way, right? Or, and that, or we don't get acceptance if we don't look a certain way. And so I see it go two ways. You know, you have like the perfectionists who really try to look right, right, quote unquote, um, and do it perfectly. And then you have the ones that do the opposite and are, and are kind of like F you to this. But both of those people are often in reaction to the same thing. And so it can, it can look different, but often at the root, the, um, you know, you're feeling unloved in your own body and for who you are. Right. Right. And, and as you said before, if you, you're someone who struggles with perfectionist tendencies or codependency and, or body image issues and disordered eating, even if you don't put those onto your children, they can see you do it to yourself and figure, well, maybe that's how I should be acting toward myself, or maybe that's how they want me to act. So I know that you specialize, um, your business focuses on helping patients raise empowered children, mm -hmm. especially if the parents are codependent perfectionists. So can right. you speak to um, how, how that happens or um, maybe one actionable strategy to be a better parent if you are a codependent perfectionist? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, whenever I'm thinking about this, I think about a parent listening who is then going to beat themselves up over what I'm saying because they're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't want anyone to be beating yourself up because you're doing it wrong because what well, the reality is we're all doing it wrong in some sense of the word, right? Um, and we have to be compassionate for where we struggle. So I don't, you know, it's not that everyone here need, that's listening needs to become the perfect role model and say, oh my God, because I'm struggling with um, body image or an eating disorder, whatever it is, like I'm a terrible parent. No, actually, I think when we struggle with those things, but we show our children what it looks like to work on ourselves, that could actually be really oh, yeah. beautiful and healing for both people, right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's that piece of it. Um, in my book, I talk a lot about what it looks like to be codependent and a perfectionist and how that translates into parenting. And oftentimes it's like this really, you know, you think of the typical like um, helicopter parent who's kind of just there like hovering, waiting for something to happen with their children. And so a lot of the work that I do is to help parents take um, like a step back in their parenting mm -hmm. so that they can create better connections with their children. And by the way, that these aren't just children. These are often adult children I'm talking about too. Um, so the work is often just creating space and allowing your children to go through their own struggles, um, to feel the feelings that they're having, um, you know, whatever it may be that they're dealing with, to not feel you're going to feel whatever you're going to feel, but to not actually act on the feelings to try to rescue them from it. And again, that's the separation. You know, you, 
uh, most of us have those feelings, but it's trying to work on actually not acting on them and letting our child struggle and, and helping them feel heard from us. That's actually like the best thing that we can really do for them. It's how is, is, is having them feel like they're being heard and that their emotions are validated. Right. Right. Yeah. Because most of the time what we do like communication wise as a codependent is someone tells us something and then we, um, we tell them like what they should do about it. Like we give them, like, they're like, I, I don't know what I should do about this. And then we're like, well, I can tell you what to do about it. And instead of letting them kind of just kind of talk it out and, and empowering them to come up with their own idea of how to work through something, which is really what we want to help them do when they're two years old, all the way to when they're, you know, in their forties, like, you know, whatever age you're at with your kids, you want to be helping them um, feel that they can take care of themselves and that they, they can also, that they can also reach out to you for support. You don't want to not, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't want to support our children, but we want them to learn how to ask us for support. And we want them to know how to come up with solutions to difficult situations and also learn to feel their feelings. Right. Would, would you say maybe a line of questioning would be better? Like if, 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 the child comes to you, whatever their age, and says, like, I don't know what, what to do about X, Y, Z, would, would probing them with questions so they can kind of dig into their own line of thinking and reasoning, is that is that helpful? It, it can be, but one of the things that I go over in the book is really the concept of mirroring, which is, like, really just in a sense, it's a bit different than parroting, but many people think that's what it is, but it's really just helping our child like hear themselves. So if they come to us and say like, you know, um, I had a fight with my friend, maybe just saying something along the lines of, oh, so you had a fight with your friend, right? So you're kind of just like repeating it back to them. And then generally when they actually hear that, this is actually what everybody needs, but <laughs> that's an aside, but when they can hear themselves, they can start to work through it and then um, that allows them to get greater clarity. And then they know when they need to say, yeah, what do you think I should do about it? And then we can offer our feedback. Okay, okay. That's because we've been idea. invited to, yeah. Okay. And for those who don't have kids that are listening, but they identify as being a perfectionist, what's one actionable strategy they could start doing today to start healing that? So uh, what immediately comes to me is like my spiritual beliefs, which have to do with the fact that, you know, I believe our, our true self, who's underneath all of this kind of stuff that we've gone through in our life and, and who we've become, um, is, is really compassionate and understanding. And so when you hear yourself with those, with the negative thoughts that are coming in and then really negative feedback, um, I want you just to think about the fact that those, those thoughts, those um, sentiments are not actually coming from your true self because your true self is actually very loving and kind and really accepts you for who you are. So if you can just start to build some awareness around the negative thoughts, that's a really great step one. Um, you don't have to do anything with it. You don't have to change them. Just, just see it. Right. Just observe. Right. 
Um, so this one, we have, I have two more questions. One I ask everybody at the end, but this one's actually for myself because I have you on the line and I, I, I can't imagine I'm the only person that's done this, but I might be, I might be crazy. Um, <laughs> I used to do this thing in my head. I, it was almost like I was, I felt like there was always a, like a camera on me or like that, that I was in like a movie and like someone, someone was watching my every move. And like, if I messed up, this was so like the perfectionist tendency when I, when I would yeah. screw up, I'd be like, all right, starting tomorrow morning, when I wake up, it's going to be a fresh start, almost like a reset. Is there right. a term right. for that? Or like, <laughs> do people do that? Or is it just me? No, I, I think people do do that. I'm thinking right now about this one client who I've worked with for years who would tell me like when he came into therapy, if it was a good week or a bad week and like whatever, however it started off, it was like, he couldn't like alter what happened then and needed to like start fresh, like you're saying on a new week. Um, the work with him has been that he's now years later at a place where it's no longer so binary. It's like, yeah, this moment can feel not great, but then I can actually choose to make it different um, at any point in time. And I think that comes when you start to feel really like empowered in yourself that you have choice. You, you're not victim of circumstance, you know, that, that it can be like, oh, I could use differently right now, not just tomorrow. Right. right? They're not that. So have to be Right, exactly. It doesn't have to be a bad day. It could be a bad moment, you know? Um, so I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I just like, like that's, I, I don't do that anymore, but I always wondered, because I did it for so long, like, was there a term for that? Or like, I couldn't, I, I tried, I couldn't find anything. So I, I thought maybe if there was a term, you would know, but I feel like maybe there's just no term for it. Maybe it's just part of perfection. Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think it is a part of perfectionism that you kind of feel like you're constantly watched in a sense, rather, you know, like you're not, you're just not comfortable with yourself in the moment and allowing things to be what they are. Right. I feel like it's just like the voices in your head that you've internalized, like you feel like they are watching you. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the last question that I ask everybody, since this podcast is called the finally free podcast, what does it mean to you to be finally free? Oh, oh my God. Finally free to me is getting to be exactly who I am and being um, unapologetic about it. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm a different therapist. I, I, I even joke that I'm like the judge Judy of therapists. That's like, that's my, that's my nickname um, because I can be really tough, but I'm also very loving. Um, and my clients know that about me. And I think that that is also who I am in, in my life too. And doing my own therapeutic work has given me the freedom to be who I am in all aspects of my life. That's awesome. That's yeah. so great. Thank you so much for being on here. It was really cool to just have this connection with you. I'm yeah. so glad I reached out. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was great. It was great to meet my kindred soul here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We will talk soon. Sounds good. Bye. So that is it for today's episode. Seriously, of all the podcasts you can be listening to, I'm so honored that you took the time to listen to mine. I'm also so proud of you for taking this small step forward toward food and body freedom. If you like what you hear and you want to work with me as your coach, go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call. That way I can hear your specific needs and set up a game plan for your success. 
I would also be so, so grateful if you could subscribe, follow, rate, and review this podcast so many more people who need help with dieting, body image, disordered eating, and fitness can find our message of freedom. Until next time.